Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You put 50,000 chance money in this class. I can get if you like what you hear, go to ganglandwire.com. We need you to put a hit out on our donate button. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ganglandwire. Follow true crime storyteller Gary Jenkins on Twitter at Jenks Law. Buy the DVD Gangland Wire or download the Kansas City Mob Tour app. And now, here's Gary Jenkins. Well, good evening, folks. Uh, I'm back here in the off-site with my good friend and co-host, Aaron. Say hello, Aaron. Hello, Aaron. I'm kind of like wimped out on that say hello, Aaron, but <laughs> you got the message. Uh, my voice broke, but you know what we're doing. We are, uh, I was thinking ahead, we are here with our good friend, Martin McNally, who got hold of me after he listened to the two-episode podcast we did on the airline hijacking or skyjacking in 1972 in which a skyjacker jumped out of the airplane and parachuted to the ground with $500,000 and after I did that episode uh, uh, the uh, the suspect in that I guess the the defendant later and in, uh, in that case happened to be Googling his own name. He'd gotten out on parole, and he was Googling his own name, and he listened to our podcast and thought they were hilarious and, and contacted me and told me that he, he liked what he heard, but we had some of the facts wrong. I said, you know, we'll come and, and we will interview you and get the facts right. Because I think you folks, as Aaron often says, you, we like to tell you the uh, uh, the story out of the mouths of the people that did it. Now, we've had plenty of policemen come in who actually were involved in cases. I've told you about cases I've been involved in. We had uh, Craig Glazier. Glazier in, who was the king of Sting, and, and he talked about some of the criminal activity that he was involved in and, and yeah, so ripping that, off drug dealers for their drugs and money. Right. He, he was a Robin Hood of the drug business at one point in time. But his last thing, he got stung by the feds. He, he thought he was dealing with Colombian dope dealers and he was actually dealing with the IRS and the FBI and a variety of other federal agencies. I asked him, I, I said, Craig, didn't you think it was funny? They were no 
Hispanic people that you were dealing with? He said, well, he said, I did think so, but I got greedy. That might have been what happened to our friend Mac here. Mac, uh, uh, say hello to the folks. Hello, folks. So did you get greedy? I got greedy and stupid. Yeah, well, uh, I guess I, I made a few mistakes myself as a kid. Uh, I think we all have. I all have to, to a greater or lesser extent. Yours was greater and ours were lesser. Uh, but, uh, you know, everything's perfect just as it is. And uh, we're sitting here uh, telling this story and, and getting your story out, your side of the story out. And I think folks will find that interesting. And, and who knows, uh, Brad Pitt may hear this and, and say, you know, I want to play that part. And we're going to make a movie out of that. And the next thing you know, you're in Hollywood being a technical advisor Bruce, on the movie. Bruce, Bruce Willis or Sean Penn would probably uh, jump on this. <laughs> they would. They would. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's an amazing story. Just all the, the various aspects of it. If people would go out, they can Google uh, Martin J. McNally online. There's a Wikipedia page about this. There's a little bit of the at uh, justia.com. Um, some of the uh, some of the uh, the case file. It was Max Appellate case. Yeah, Max Appellate case where he was fighting some of the charges and and things that they had going there. But I mean, it's a it's a story that's that's really compelling. I think in terms of just all the things that happened and and you know you have to take this back to when it occurred, which was 1972. Uh, you know, when it comes to hijacking planes, I think things really did change after September 11, 2001. They may have changed before that. Uh, security certainly had been beefed up at that point, but I think people's, uh, you know, their apprehension, if you will, in that kind of a situation uh, definitely escalated because it went from people just wanting to maybe get relatives out of jail or uh, or, or get cash to making political statements and, and killing people. I think when you were telling this in the last episode, you were talking about taking control of the plane after you were just about to land in Tulsa, getting into the bathroom, being there for a few minutes, standing in the back of the plane, waiting for waving the stewardess to get her attention. And it, you would think there'd be some pandemonium because there you've got a what may look like a machine gun wasn't actually a machine gun, but I mean, a gun on a plane. You have to admire that stewardess for being cool and calm, I would say. Yes, Jane Elizabeth Furlong. She was a very nice stewardess. She was calm, and uh, she took care of business uh, very professionally. All the stewardesses took care of business uh, professionally. Oh, good. They kept the rest of the people relatively calm. She took the note up to the pilot. He obviously turned the plane around. Uh, You were kind of clearing people out of the back of the plane. There was a little bit of a confrontation there with the passenger. There was. There was. Luckily, he didn't try to be a hero. He didn't try to be a hero. He, He would have been a dead hero. But you had pointed your gun at him, and he kind of got the he got the news. I gave him uh, gave him my growl, and uh, he turned around and uh, did the right thing. He didn't try to uh, kick me or rush me, because uh, he would have been dead. Yeah. But the, here you are, you're you're, you're twenty seven thousand feet in the air. It's not a it's not a long trip between St. Louis and Tulsa. Probably not even an hour. It was uh, Flight 119, American Airlines, left at 2.35 in the afternoon. So it was still daylight. You turn around. You're headed back to St. Louis. So we kind of left off at that point. Yes. 
Yes, we're heading back to St. Louis. When we landed, I told uh, the stewardesses, I said, we've got too many people on board here. We need to get rid of all the women and children. The stewardesses uh, notified all the women uh, and the children. We got rid of the women and children. There was, there did was, any of the husbands and fathers that stayed on, did, was there any hassle? <coughs> did the women like? One of the women didn't want to leave because uh, she was hugging onto her husband's neck, and I could see that up front. At that point there, I think I told uh, the stewardesses, I said, we still have too many people aboard this plane. Let's get rid of uh, uh, a lot of the men. I sent a word up to the, to the pilot to tell uh, these people who could get off the plane, and he came on the intercom, and he, he announced that uh, Anybody on the plane who is uh, uh, sick and uh, medications and has a, a heart problem uh, can leave the plane. So everybody gets out and starts walking off. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, that's exactly what happened. Everybody stands up. Everybody. 100% of these people stood up. And I was in the back. I jumped in, into the aisle and uh, I shouted out. I said, uh, sit down, sit down now. And uh, everybody sat down. I told the stewardesses, "Go up there and tell the pilot if he makes another comment like that, I'm going to come up to the come up to the cockpit and throttle his ass." So after everybody sat down, I told uh, told the stewardesses, "I says uh, we need to get rid of all the men. We keep about 20 of them on board this plane. I want 20 of the men that are healthy. All the children uh, can get off." So uh, uh, that's what they did. They uh, reloaded the plane with uh, gas, uh, refueled, and we uh, took off. And the pilot uh, asked me, what now? So you had directed them to uh, then take back off, get up. Off yes, the I okay. directed them to uh, re refuel and take off into the air until we get the money all uh, situated on the ground. So you didn't want to sit on the ground? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't money. sit on the ground. I wanted to be in the air so that this plane couldn't be charged while we're on the ground by the FBI and other people. But uh, when you landed at the airport, they didn't pull up to the terminal, did they? they no. They pulled away from the terminal somewhere they, off on a tarmac? Yeah, they, they didn't. Uh, they didn't pull up uh, to the terminal. I think they, I, I think I think they were on, on the runway. I forget. I forget, actually. But uh, <coughs> they uh, to get off the plane, I think they uh, s sent out the airbags. And the people ran, got off the sliding out like it's an emergency like exit. Like it's an emergency, and they were all getting out of this airbag and flying down. Uh, they got that all taken care of. They got it refueled. We got up into the air. The pilots said, "What do you what what to do now?" And I said, "Well, we're going to fly around until uh, they have the money, the parachutes, and the shovel, and whatever else I want, uh, and then we'll land and pick it up and uh, refuel and uh, we're back up in the air." He said, uh, "Can I uh, get out of the uh, airspace here in uh, St. Louis?" I said, "You can go wherever you want." He got out of the airspace in St. Louis and was flying around in a circle somewhere. I don't know where. Because at that point, they probably have to stop all air traffic coming in and out of St. Louis they, because yeah, they, of this. They, they pretty much did uh, stop everything till we got out of the area, and then they could uh, continue with the landings and the takeoffs. We're up in the air. The uh, stewardess comes back and says uh, they don't have uh, half a million dollars in St. Louis. We can pick it up at the uh, headquarters of American Airlines in Fort Worth. Would that be okay? And I said, young lady, you can go any place in the world to get this money. But uh, we're going to get the half me. She told the pilot, and they made a beeline for Fort Worth, Texas. And they picked up their speed. And, I mean, we were flying 
So uh, after about uh, 10 minutes, they came back. The girl said, uh, now they have a, a $100,000 in uh, St. Louis. Would that be okay? I said, young lady, that, that's not going to do it. If I, if I thought I was going to get a, a five, uh, 100000 bucks, I wouldn't have climbed out of bed in the morning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go to Fort Worth. We're going to get this money and so forth. So then, after a couple of minutes, they came back and said, they got the money in St. Louis. And I said, okay, turn around. Let's go back to St. Louis. We turned around. We went back to St. Louis. When, when we got back to St. Louis now, we landed. They started procedures to uh, bring uh, the money and the parachutes and all that stuff to the plane. And when they did that, the stewardess said, uh, how are we going to bring it aboard? And I said, take any man up here, go outside and pick up uh, the chutes, the money, and bring it aboard. The stewardess did that, and apparently she got some guy with bright red pants, and he, he got an attitude thinking that I was the one that pointed him out because of his audacious pants. But I, I didn't. That was a stewardess. Oh, so, yeah. He, yeah, he claimed that, that you, in the article, singled he him out. You singled him out because you, then you could remember who he was because of his clothes. Yeah. I which didn't, makes sense. I didn't do that, though. They, they brought the uh, parachutes on, the money. And when they brought the money in, the money bag, mailbag, leather mailbag, I opened it up. I pulled out these two sacks. One sack had 400,000 bucks in it, and the other sack had 100,000 bucks in it. And they were sealed with a lead seal. Now, I never opened up those seals to look, actually look in the money. To see if the, it was actual money or... <laughs> I never did that. Or you, never, and you never counted it. I never counted it. I never looked at the money. It was sealed, and I, 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 uh, I, I zipped up the mailbag and set it aside and i said this this is what i came for now now and i think i want to say in the in the some of the stuff you would read online you didn't ask for an exact five hundred thousand yes i asked for five hundred five hundred two thousand uh i think five 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 hundred two thousand and two hundred dollars i believe that's the was was the figure that i asked for and i asked for the two thousand uh two hundred dollars in uh tens and twenties mm-hmm was there a reason for that? That would have been my pocket change. When I when I hit the ground, I was going to bury the money, the mailbag. And that's why you wanted the shovel, too. That's right. That's why I asked for the collapsible military shovel. Uh, I would have buried the money, taken my pocket change, come back home. What about, was there one glove? Did you really ask for just one glove? That's what I, they claimed. I asked, for, I asked for a pair of gloves. The reason I did that was because my plastic gloves that I had on had, broke, had broken. No, I, I didn't want the fingerprints showing up. I don't know what they gave, gave me on it. Gloves. Okay, but they gave you they gave you the gloves. You asked for was it five parachutes? I asked for uh, five parachutes. I think five harnesses or yeah, two or three harnesses. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, there's different. It's like four harnesses. A different number of harnesses according to the article. Yeah. How come you wanted that many parachutes and harnesses? I wanted I wanted the parachutes to uh, break them open to make sure the uh, shroud lines weren't uh, cut on any of the any of the chutes. I wanted to make and if I noticed any of the chutes. With uh, cut shroud lines, I would know that they, they, they were giving me some bogus shoots, and that would have created a problem. 
So I broke I, I broke open uh, a couple of these shoots. Oh, I see. So you figure yeah. if you broke open a couple of them and yes. they weren't cut, then the other would be safe to use. Yes. All right. Be, I got you now. It would be safe to believe that the others the others are okay. Okay. At one point in time, on these harnesses that that, that you put on your your body uh, parachute parachute harness, I couldn't figure out how to put this on. So I told them, I said, bring me an FBI agent toward the planes, or not an FBI agent. I said, bring me a parachute expert who can show me how to do these uh, harnesses to put the shoots on. I also asked, I said, where's the main shoots for this uh, this rig? He said, you didn't ask for main shoots. And I said, you're giving me reserve shoots here. You're trying to kill me. I looked at my watch. I said, damn, I, I don't have enough time to go uh, to demand these uh, backpacks. Now, the backpack chute is the main chute, and the, the, front, main the one chute. that goes on your front is your reserve. Yes, the, right. the reserve emergency chute on, on your chest. And all they gave you were reserve chutes. That's it. So if, it, if the reserve chute failed for any reason, you were dead. That's it, yes. I, all I had was one chute. Pissed me off. The time constraints uh, were such that uh, I had I had to go with it. I didn't have any choice. So as we're doing this, the money, the the money uh, on the board and the shoots and everything, and they brought this parachute expert. Yeah, right. He was an FBI agent. He was playing it as he was doing these things. I snapped. I says, "You need to get off this plane, dude. You coming on board here? Uh, I, I know what you're trying to do." So I kicked him off the plane. I told the pilot, uh, "We're ready to go." Now, so this was actually at the point that you had come back to and landed it. St. Louis field a second we land, time. We landed at about 9.30 p.m. We made all these changes, the money, the parachutes and everything. Before we took off, I had uh, the stewardesses come back and help me put on the harness. One of the stewardesses got down on her knees uh, and she was helping me buckle up the uh, leg straps. Her name was uh, Diane Moyes. She's a French girl, I think. Very nice, very pretty girl. She looked at the other stewardess and she, she said, uh, I don't think we're supposed to be doing this. <laughs> That's and part I, of the I, job description. And I looked down at her and I said, young lady, you're supposed to do whatever I tell you to do. <laughs> Trust me. Let's buckle this stuff up. So we buckled up the leg straps and she stood up and uh, I, I, bu uh, I buckled the, uh, I the, think the chest strap. Uh, now, at, at this point here, I got on all my clothes and stuff, but I'm getting this stuff dressed up for 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 uh for later because I'm, I'm gonna undo all this stuff and then take off the pants and the stuff on the top still wearing the wig yeah absolutely i'm still wearing the wig now when they put the harness on you i mean you still had to hold on to the weapon at least didn't you oh absolutely the the uh you're not like well let me put this down here while you guys get no, this harness around my arm no absolutely not Rarely did I lay down that uh, that that grease gun looking uh, rifle. Uh, rarely, and if I ever did, uh, I would have the hand grenade and the pistol in my hand, so that I would always have a weapon in my hand, mm -hmm. so I couldn't be rushed. So that FBI agent that came on board, would you just step back a few feet and tell him, okay, show me how you put that on, and so he have him put it on himself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That uh, he, he was ten feet in front of me. I didn't get. I didn't let him. Let him get, get close. Get close. To me. That was. Smart. You, you presume that he wasn't actually a parachute instructor. Well, I, I thought he would be a, a parachute expert, but as he's fumbling around with 
I said, uh, no, this isn't right. You need to get off this thing. You're an FBI agent. You'd think the FBI could have found somebody that had been in the 101st Airborne, and you know they had somebody around there that had been in the Airborne in yeah. their military career, yeah. but, but they probably didn't. They just sent uh, a bunch of uh, fakers in. Uh, <laughs> well, they had a field office there in St. Louis, I'm assuming. They did. Yeah. Yes, they had a field office. You're like all set. You, you got I'm everything all set. all set. I'm all set. I'm all ready to go. And then something happened. Well, not at, not at that point, but I'm all set to go. I told uh, the stewardesses, I said, we need to get rid of all these men on the plane, but, but I'm going to keep one, one hostage, a civilian hostage. So I said, uh, tell these people that we need one. So the guy that chose to stay on the plane, uh, we would have had the pilot and the co-pilot, flight engineer, a stewardess, and him. Oh, have, so one man, he, he volunteered to stay on? Yes. Wow. Yes, he volunteered to stay on, and I found out later that he was an accountant. He was a young accountant for the American Airlines. Oh, really? Oh, I see. <laughs> he was a young accountant. They, uh, He stayed on. We got rid of everybody else. The pilot, the co-pilot, the engineer, you had a stewardess. Oh, something else happened. At one point, the uh, pilot asked me if they could ch change crew. And I said, yes, you can change crew. came back uh, later and said... Uh, we decided that we'll we'll stay with this. I said no. You already raised the issue. I want I want to get a different crew in here. So let's get a different crew in here. Pilot, co-pilot, and flight engineer, and so forth. So what happened is uh, they did change crews. These these new crew that came on, I had them all turn around and make sure they didn't have any weapons on them, and then they went up to the cockpit. One of the guys that came on, he was an FBI agent posing as a flight engineer. Mm -hmm. While we were on the ground, I told the stewardesses, tell that pilot that I, I, I know that uh, you people have brought a weapon on board. Uh, I can just feel it. But you tell them that if I see a weapon or if a weapon is pulled, this machine gun that I got, I'll pull the trigger and uh, people are going to get killed. I'll pull this bomb too. I know you got a weapon on board. What happened is that this flight engineer was really an FBI agent. His only position on this thing was to kill me. And uh, he, he had the gun to do it. We're ready to go. Refueled. I gave the uh, pilot the instructions on where we were going to go. Earlier in the flight, I told him to get uh, flight, uh, flight plans for uh, Seattle, San Francisco, Ontario, and Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going to have one of those uh, flights that we're going to take. But I'll tell you later, uh, which one? So as we're getting ready to take off, we're going to go to Ontario. He's going to uh, he's going to fly in uh, along the runway at two or three hundred feet, <clears throat> so I can uh, verify that we're at Ontario. And then he's going to. Uh, now you mean Ontario, Canada, not Ontario, Ontario Canada. California? Uh, yeah, Ontario, Canada. Canada. Uh, he's going to fly in two or three hundred feet from the runway, and we're going to go back up to five thousand feet, and then we're going to head on to uh, JFK in New York. Now, these are the instructions that I gave him. I wasn't going to be doing that. I was going to bail out. Mm -hmm. So what happened is this. We're ready to take off. We're on the runway. We're on the runway. I'm going to be bailing out about a quarter to one in the morning at this point. Yeah, it'd be however, pitch black out. However, yeah, well, yeah, however, that's not what happened. It's about 12 midnight. We're on the plane. We're on the runway, ready to take off. The pilot throttles the engines. And we start rolling down the runway. And after we get uh, oh, a couple hundred feet, he uh, pulls back, 
And he says, we got a vehicle on the runway. We got a vehicle coming. Oh, my God, it's going to hit us. Boom. <laughs> he hit us. Now, were you up, up in the cockpit at that point? Big pardon? Were you in the cockpit with no, them? No, I never went into the cockpit no. until much later. You just had the hostage and the Sturtis's back in the back part of the cabin. Uh, no, at right. that point, at that point there, uh, go, go, taking off right there, everybody was up in the cockpit. And I'm in the back. Oh, you're back by yourself. Yeah. So then how did you, he was announcing this over like the PA. Yeah, yeah. he says, uh, oh my God, somebody's, somebody's going to hit us coming down the runway. Boom. And now when it hit, the, the plane moved back and I moved forward twice. Boom, boom. He hit the nose gear going about 90 miles an hour. Boom. And then he spun around and hit the uh, uh, main strut. On the uh, as a result of impacting the main gear in the front yeah. of the plane, he 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 hit the uh, nose gear and then he spun around and hit the uh, main main strut and uh, stopped right there. And uh, at that point, at that point there, I said, "Get this plane in the air!" Screaming, "Get this get this fucking plane in the air!" And uh, the pilot uh, came in on the intercom and he says, "We can't do anything. We've been hit." Stewardess uh, came back and uh, I said, well, tell the pilot we're going to have to get another plane. In the meantime, stay here. And if this if this plane catches fire, there's an emergency door here. You and I are going to jump out this door, however far it was, and you're going to be with me with the money and me and you and me with this gun. But we're going to get another plane. So uh, uh, she went up there and told the pilot we're going to have to get, get another plane. Came back. The uh, fire crew came out and put foam on all over the car and everything. But uh, it, so, I mean, you're in the plane and you can see these guys. You're stopped again on the runway. I'm not. I, no, all the windows are closed. I can't see anything outside. You don't know what's going on outside. Uh, yeah, that's right. Only from what the pilot tells you. That's right. I, I don't I don't see all that. I'm, I'm not I, I'm not opening the window. Because you're afraid that there might be like a sniper. Yeah, I, I know they're going to have snipers. God, what happened next? Oh, I told him, uh, told the pilot, get another plane. Tell the control tower to uh, take any 727 on this runway, on the tarmac, load it up, uh, refuel it, and we're going to take it. Martin J. McNally, he's he's hijacked this plane. It was flight 119, which originated in New York, landed in St. Louis, had gone to Tulsa, had gone, hadn't landed in Tulsa, went back to St. Louis, was refueled, got uh, money, and he took off. Or no, they didn't get the money yet because they were still collecting it up, and they said, oh, it's going to be in in, in uh, Fort Worth. So and they, he went back in the air. He f goes back in the air, going to fly there. They go, oh, it turns out we do have the money in St. Louis. Turns around and comes back to St. Louis. They're on the ground again. He clears most everybody who was left on the plane. Off, except uh, Sturtis and one person and the, and the pilot, co-pilot, the engineer. And then they changed the flight crew. 
bring an FBI agent on and a new flight. Which is crew. funny because the the crew, I don't know what they were like, oh, wanting to change crews. Like, I guess there's like a legal limit how long they can fly. I think all bets are off on this. I would but, think so because, you know, they're they're hijackers change crews in they want charge to. at this point. The FAA, FAA doesn't matter if they say you can't fly more than 12 hours. But they wanted to get that FBI agent on the plane. That's why they changed crews. You think that's yeah, their crew yeah, suggested sure. it? Oh, and oh, then yeah, they, yeah. That's, that's, so then they bring in, now they got a pilot, a co-pilot, and a guy who doesn't know anything about planes because they already sent a guy who doesn't know anything about parachutes <laughs> and it was pretty obvious right away because martin's like you don't know anything you need to get out of here and it's nighttime and he's getting ready to take off this guy sees this on the news essentially he's sitting he's sitting at the airport what i remember reading he sees it on the news he becomes enraged he gets in his late model cadillac and crashes through the fence he has to take two runs at the fence to get through the fence there's actually cops standing there you know standing all around guarding the perimeter and he runs right by the cop and runs right into the nose gear and spins off that and and max says then he hit the one of the struts and and Max screaming, you know, get this thing off the ground, and and they can't get off the ground. So we're gonna pick it up from there next time, folks. What, what's that guy's name? I'm looking it up. I don't see it here. We'll have to add it in the notes. Yeah, well, we can add it in later. He is a uh, he. He ends up running for president a few years later. I think he maybe been a little bit mentally unbalanced. And as we said, he ran on the platform of yeah, I stopped the hijacking. Well, only temporarily. Only temporarily. Only temporarily. Let let Donald Trump spin that story. Maybe <laughs> maybe the ideal thing. So let's uh, let's get out of here. And, well, before and we do, by. we should probably make our public service well, announcement. Yeah, I guess we ought to. We didn't do it last episode. It's uh, if you have a yourself have a problem or you have a friend, relative, employee uh, has a problem with drugs or alcohol or any kind of addiction, make your first call to first call 816-361-5900. Or if you're out of town and I realize a lot of you listeners are not in Kansas City, why go to their website, www.firstcallkc.org. And they have all kinds of resources in that 24-hour hotline and they can direct you to a resource in your town. Say goodnight, Aaron. Good night, Aaron. Good night. Music provided by Oddomatic. Follow them on Twitter at Oddomatic Music. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.